This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot. AKA, like you're not wearing any shoes. AKA, like you are wearing zero shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of zero shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So, you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with zero shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X-E-R-O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X-E-R-O. Get your zero shoes today. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. This is a big one. It might be the biggest one. So our guest today is a legend. Uh, He's such a legend that he only goes by one name. So, when you know, it's like Madonna or Cher. When you talk (laughs) about this guy, people on Staten Island, they just say Bali. Now, I'm going to call him Coach Bali out of respect because I respect the hell out of this guy. So uh, Coach Bali, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. That was a great intro. <laughs> so Coach, uh, just just my own personal thought about you, and I'll say this to the audience, uh, what I admire about you the most is I I feel you. You know, like, you know, yeah. when you hear a person, you you talk to a person, but when you step onto a practice field or when I watch you coach, I can actually feel your presence. And a practice is dictated by your emotions. So I just love being around you, coach. And, and thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate that. So coach, uh, your what you do is known all throughout Staten Island, probably throughout the city as a speed coach, a skills coach, uh, you know, a, a defensive back coach, a, a quarterback coach, whatever you want to say you are. But the one thing I want to talk about first is, and what really drew my attention to you in the beginning was I heard that you make your athletes read and discuss books. So is that true? And if yes, why do you do that? Absolutely, it's true. You know, when I start training people, whether it's group training or private training, you know, I tell my athletes that you're going to be men a lot longer than you're going to be an athlete. So when you're reading books, right, it gives you a different insight on life and some of the main principles of manhood. Each book that we read is uh, dedicated to really um, building the foundation of your thought as a man, how to you know, negotiate the different obstacles you're going to have in your life long, long after you've uh, given up or, you know, tied up your cliques or threw away your basketball shoes. You know, you know, we read books like um, um, The Art of War, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, The Alchemist, things on that nature, you know, and it, and it gives them an avenue to think. And while we discuss the books, because a lot of our young men struggle with actually um, talking in public or just getting their ideas out. So it's a form of them getting used to talking in front of a group because when we have these discussions, we're doing it in a group setting and we lay down the ground rules where nobody's going to giggle if someone messes up reading the book and we're going to try to support them so they can get their ideas out. And we have them discuss the book based on what they understand the, the meaning of the book to be. So therefore, there are no wrong answers because as we know, a lot of our young men are become ashamed sometimes if they don't get something right. But if you're discussing it from your perspective, you can't be wrong. So, Coach, I, I love that you said that, especially about being able to speak in public or in front of other people. Do yes. you, when, when these 
I'll call them young men, talk about books. Do you ask them questions or do you just say, hey, tell me about chapter one of the art of war and what it means to you? Right. So take the art of war. Like we know it's dedicated to actually warfare. Right. But when you're talking about building your future, it is technically a war also. So what I'll do is have them read an excerpt from the book and ask them, what does it mean to you? And then we'll get deeper as they answer the question, you know, because by nature, I'm a social worker. That's what I do at the school that, that, I, that, I, that where I'm at right now. So I actually will build on it. In some books, I will ask them questions, you know, like Rich Dad, Bored Dad, what do you think he meant by investment? What is your interpretation of investment? Um, income to debt ratio, what do you understand about it? You know, even if they give me, I don't know, I think that's a great answer to give them because now we can move on with the conversation. Now, is there a book that has made, if you had to pick a book for your life, what books made the biggest impact on you? Well, you know, <laughs> I would say um, Malcolm X and also The Alchemist. You know, those two books, um, it's about elevating your mind and getting, um, taking yourself out of a rut of thinking one way and understanding that the world is a lot bigger than your perspective. You know, it, it, uh, it forces you to engage and assess who you are, look in the mirror, and also to... Uh, develop yourself in a better space and time. Now, what what made you become a reader? Now, a lot of people I know in all walks of life, a lot of them don't read. What what make you value reading so much? Because it adds on to your overall perspective on things. You know, I've read books that were not necessarily something I was interested in. Not something that I was interested in, but you know, I thought, if, you know, if I can read this boring book and get something out of it, right, it's going to enlighten me and it's going to teach me how to struggle through things, you know, but reading is the foundation of everything that we do. You have to read math, you have to read body language, but to actually pick up a book, you know, it's, it's, uh, it gives you a sense of accomplishment also, you know, and um, having said that, as we know, a lot of our young men don't want to pick up a book. But how do you plan to educate yourself then? It's not just going to sink in your mind through the sun. You actually have to physically do something to get something done. And reading a book is one way you're going to do it. You can't avoid it. And even in this day and time, it's even easier for you because they have auto books. Then listen to it. Yep. You know, whatever way you need to get it, get it done. And I feel like it's, it's, it's not free, but it, it's free enough. It's free knowledge. And when you are reading that book, you get to be in that story and experience it and have emotion. It's so much different than watching a documentary on TV. Absolutely. Yes. So coach, you know, we, we kicked this off but, with you being a, a, tra a, a trainer. And I think we're going to link back to your books in a little bit, but I'm sure my, okay. some of my guys are sitting on the edge of their seat saying, well, let's hear about the training. Cause we hear about this guy. <laughs> he's a legend on Staten Island. So how do you describe the type of training that you do with athletes? Because I, I see a lot of stuff with running mechanics. I see weight training. I also see actual skills, like football skills. Mm -hmm. What type of a coach are you? Well, I'm really big on creating unconscious success, right? So when I train people, you know, a lot of my social work skills come into play with this, all right? Because I get into their backstory and what motivates them, you know? And once you can coach a kid from that platform, it opens up their mind to hear you and listen to you, you know? So everything that we do is based on, I'm going to create this success on the field without thought because I've done this so many times. It's, it's who I am. It's what I breathe. It's what I see. It's osmosis, you know? So you called it unconscious success. 
unconscious success. Because what I always say to my guys is this. Think about everything you ever did on the football field that got you a great result. You didn't go through a thinking process of doing what you were doing. You didn't run around, say, stick my, you know, uh, decelerate, stick my foot in the ground, break right, break left, stick my hands out, catch the ball. You was in the moment. And once you can be in that moment consistently, that's how you become great. Now, Coach, are you, uh, I'll start with sports first. Are you predominantly, do you consider yourself a trainer of football players or do you train any sport? I'm a trainer of athletes. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So it's all applicable. What I do is all applicable to every sport. Every sport that I know, right, you have to have mental toughness, right? You have to have balance. You have to have agility. You have to have change of direction skills. All this applies to everything. So if you're an athlete, that's what it's about. Now, when you're training football players, and I've watched a lot of your videos, are you only working with skill players, or do you go as far as like an offensive lineman? No, the only thing I don't do is O-line. And actually, I'm planning on getting involved in that this year because I have a lot of big guys that want to actually do some training. And when you look at the market out there, nobody's even providing a service for them. You know, so I'm actually going to get into that this year. You know, I know how to coach the old line or train them. I just haven't done it. But this year is going to be the first year that I'm going to start uh, a training segment for old linemen. Now, how do you know so much about so many different positions? Because I've watched you with quarterbacks, wide receivers, yeah. defensive backs. What, what position did you play in college? I played defensive back. I played corner. And what were you in high school? I play quarterback and, and strong, strong safety. So how, how so, have you, like, how are you educating yourself to know about all these different positions when you're training them in the, the sports specific skills? I'm an observer. Even when I was in college, right. When we do our defensive back drills, right. I would look over at the D line and see what they're doing. Look at the old line, see what they're doing. And when I hear the offensive uh, coaches talking to their guys, I'm also was picking up on what they were telling them. And as we know, as you go through this process of training and development people, you have to do your research. And what I've un come to understand is it's, a, it's different ways to get the same outcome out of a person, right? Like a lot of trainers think that their way is the only way. Nah, that's not necessarily true, <laughs> right? So you just pick up on, on different, you know, what different people are saying and you do your research and whatever fits that athlete, that's what you try to apply. A lot of times we try to do cookie cutter things with our athletes and it may not work for them. You know, you have to understand how they learn best in order for them to even conceptualize how to do the drill. You know, so I build my thing on people who've gone before me, people who are younger than me, older than me, so much information out there, but you do have to do your due diligence and compare and contrast, see what works and don't work. So what you know? gives you this ability or this desire to learn was it how you were brought up like not many people we, we both coach kids a lot of yeah. them don't want to learn they already think they know everything and they're 15 years old why at your age you still do you still want to learn everything yeah well that i think that's in our dna stream i don't think we were i think that's who we are you know like you're a trainer and you understand and you come across people who just have that thing in them. It's, it, no one inspired them. They just grew up with that DNA stream in them. So I think that's what, what I possess, you know? So how did you come up 
with this brilliant name of I, I used to before I knew you, I see all these shirts, the BMJ, BMJ, BMJ. Like, what's yeah. that stand for? Back of my jersey. How did Back you of my jersey. Because when I first started training kids, we were doing speed training. I wasn't doing skills training. Right. So I was thinking about it. I said, you know what? When I run past you, you know what you're going to see? The back of my jersey. And that's how I came up with the name, because that's what you're going to see when I run past you. Now, Coach, are those also your initials or no? And that was a coincidence. I just found out maybe about four years ago that was that those were my initials. My sister-in-law came up to me and said, you, you know, that's, those are your initials. And I said, well, I never knew that. <laughs> so that was more of sort of a coincidence. That is a, a crazy coincidence because I, I thought you had sat down with this master plan. What are my initials? How does it relate to speed? And wow, didn't know it was just a coincidence. Now, when I run past you, baby, you're just going to see the back of my jersey. <laughs> so what made you become, I'll, I'll say like not a football coach. We'll talk about that later, but a speed strength coach. So, you know, I'm originally from Ohio. Right. And the energy around sports in total is different than it is in New York. But New York is changing. We are getting better with it. So I was watching my kids um, when they went to high school and I would ask them, well, what did you do at practice? What did you do in the weight room? And what they were telling me kind of didn't make sense. You know, and I'm not the kind of guy that's going to step on your coach's toes. So, you know, and I'm not the kind of guy who's going to say, hey, don't listen to the coach, don't do this. But what I said in the offseason, we're going to actually start um, doing some things on our own. So I basically I felt that they weren't getting the level of um, development that they needed. Now, when you were in college, were you really into speed and strength training or were you just natural God-given ability? No, my high school was known for track, track and football. Right. So that's how I actually started running my junior year. And that's how I got into speed on training. My high school track coach is phenomenal. And just being around that guy is it was a gift, you know. So before I got to college, I just was really into it. You know, I was always into football. When I got into to, to speed training, I was like, hey, it's actually harder to coach speed than it is football. You know, and I think that's really, really attracted to me also because it takes some real depth of thinking to train somebody for speed. So, so many small parts and pieces that you have to put together to get someone the first to run, to run efficiently, you know, before they can run fast. I'm so glad you said that for a hundred different reasons, because it is extremely technical. I, I just, I love watching you coach it because I love a guy who's so technical and so passionate about it. And I have a question for you from every guy you've ever coached. Okay. Anyone that's ever walked by, why do you always say drive? Because that, that, man, that, that goes right through my bones when you say it. It makes me want to start sprinting. Why is that the, the key word you always say? Because that drive phase is what sets up everything else. You know, when you when, when you getting in that 40 or even when you're chasing somebody on the field, you got to drive, accelerate through the ground and get on top of things. So that's why I really stress, stress, drive, 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 drive. The most important part of the 40 is the drive phase where you're building up that acceleration to get to top speed. If you don't use a proper foot to ground, um, striking the ground the right way, shin, um, your proper shin angle, arm drive, seeing the ground, straight spine, it's not going to work for you. So I really stress driving, baby. <laughs> Go get it. And, and guys, I'm talking to the people online now. If you have not been to a practice with Coach Bali, just, just drive by, sit in the parking lot. When he says drive, 
you might hit, put your foot on the accelerator of your car and get out and start sprinting, but it is infectious. Yeah. yeah. But that's the foundation of it. So coach, what is if, if when you're training athletes, if it's hard to narrow down, but are there a top one or two things that you see that makes an athlete that they're doing, that's making them slow? Yeah. What I noticed, and I see this a lot of parents also, you know, they go on YouTube and start looking at drills and think they're supposed to be doing these drills. And I see a ton of kids do a ton of resistance training. When you do resistance training, that's only for a small portion of your training cycle. It can actually slow you down. It's just like being in the weight room, right? And you put your max on the bar. All right. When you push that max up, you're not, it's not going to explode up. It's going to drive up slow. You understand? So if you're out there doing parachutes and running hills every day, that is going to slow you down because your muscles won't be firing as, as hard and as fast as they can fire. Oh, so when you're saying resistance training, you're talking about like what you just said, a parachute, uh, something, yeah. something that's resisting you or making right. you even, resist the effort of running. Right. Even hills is a form of resistance training. <laughs> you know, and you see people training on hills at a crazy angle. You know, when you do hill training, it's got to be a gradual incline. That's something like a mountain, <laughs> you know? So that's what I'm saying about resistance training. You have guys using bands, but they'll use bands every day. It's only a small portion of your workout. Because at BMJ, when we do speed training, we do track workouts. So we, everything is a phase. We go into our resistance or our power phase and we come off of it. So can you talk our listeners through, the, like, say it's a 40-yard dash. What, right. what are the phases of the 40-yard dash? So you have basically five phases. You have the drive phase, acceleration, transition, maintenance, and um, finish, right? So your drive phase is what it is. What I teach kids is about six to eight strides, all right? And then you begin, you are accelerating, okay? After you accelerate, you want to transition up slow, a lot of kids will pop their head up. So instead of the energy going straight, it goes up into the sky. Okay. Once you transition and you get into your maintenance stage, that's when you're vertical. And I see a lot of kids running at 40. They're linked a little bit, still running towards the finish line. You have to get vertical, right? And then what most kids struggle with is finishing. They will stop a yard, a half a yard before the 40 or even a yard. They have to understand I must finish I train kids at 41 yards, <laughs> you know, so they get used to running the full 40 yards. Coach, I, I watched you in the, the weight room the other day, put on YouTube, watch a couple 40s from the NFL yeah. combine with the kids. And I like when yes. one guy, he, he stopped and you said, don't do don't finish like that. Don't finish yes. your, your 40 <laughs> like that. So yes. let me ask you this with respect to the phases. I've heard coaches break it down by yardage. Uh, yeah. first 10, the first 20, then the last, the last 20, do you do it that right. way? Or are you doing it by stride lengths? And I'm doing it by stride. One, two, usually if you take six strides, right, you'll be at 10 to 12 yards, you know? So that's why I just, it, it becomes actually becomes more of a feel, right? Cause in the beginning part of it, we would do um, our arm drills and I would actually count out one, two, three, four, five, six. And then we'll stop counting. And they got to feel what that is. So yeah. The first 10 yards is usually your first six strides. So you know, you, you, you talked about unconscious success. You're super technical mm -hmm. at the same time, which is great. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. How do you balance it out with your athletes where they learn the techniques, but then they do it without thinking? This is, this is the main part of it. You have to be consistent with your training. And when I train athletes, what I say to them, you might be a guy where it may take you a year to understand what this is. A lot of kids will come out and train and think they're going to get it for the first three months. Sometimes it doesn't work like that. Like I have a kid right now who's been running with me since he was eight years old. <laughs> right. And if you look at him now, he's running four, four, two, four, four, three, but that was years and years of him just doing the drills or whatever running phase we're doing. He doesn't even think about it. It just happens. It's the consistency in your training. You know, as athletes, sometimes we have an ego. I'm going to get it right. And they think they have a right. And one of the tools that I use right now is my phone. I'll film a kid while he's training. We'll have a film session during the training session. Hey, look at you. I'll record him in slow motion. Okay, is your foot dorsiflex? No. Is your heel coming through the back? No. <laughs> you know? And then they'll start to process it. But this may be a situation where it takes you a while to even get it. And now, do you have like a, a couple of, say it'll narrow it down to one or two drills to improve that linear speed, something like a 40-yard dash. Do you have two drills or it's like, hey, this is a natural progression and we got to work our way through these 10 drills? It's a natural progression. Like what we do, like even with high knees, right? With high knees, you have several different forms of it. You have high knees, A skips, B skips, C skips, D skips. Okay, so we'll actually stay on high, just a regular high knee for, for a while. Because if you can't get that right, the A skip is not going to be right. The B skip. So I don't narrow it down to one or two drills. We phase it in. And then we'll get to the more complicated drills where we're going to get that proper cycle in your legs where you can actually turn it over the way you're supposed to be turning over. So, Coach, you have a drill that I watched that I really love. I, I want you to explain it to the group. I'll start it off, but you tell us what it is and why it's important. Okay. I guess they're kind of in a two-point stance. You yes. yell something. They get into a staggered stance. And Correct. you are hyper-focused on their shin angle of their front leg. And then I'm guessing they're sprinting like 10 yards. So what, what is that drill? And why so is that it so important? Right there is basically to get their shin, their shin at the right angle. Because most kids, when they run their 40, or they think they know how to start in their 40, they need to be at a 90-degree angle. That means when you start, you're going to get vertical instead of out towards, you know, where you're trying to run. So when you do that drill, you actually freeze them in motion when they drop down and you can correct their shin angle while they're in that um, staggered stance, right? And their arms are already fired at 90 degrees. So once you hit the, give them that goal call and they drop down and get that proper 60 degree shin angle, and then you clap your hands, you want to see them arms accelerate and drive through the first 10 yards of your 40. You know, so we've spent a lot of time on that because that is the most technical part and in my opinion, of your start, getting that shin angle and that proper foot to ground application. And I kind of like it as a football coach because a lot of the guys that we coach are not in a three-point stance. So, you know, no. say a wide receiver, he's in that the same stance basically yeah. that you're getting those uh-huh. guys in. Yeah. You know, you know what's funny? <laughs> Back in my day, <laughs> some receivers used to get down in like a three-point stance, <laughs> like a stagger start. And it kind of makes sense, especially if the guy's not pressing you. Because <laughs> you're getting out like a track guy. That, that was a long time ago, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying early. to go back into those archives, Coach, to find videos of, of when we had wide receivers. I know it did happen, though. It definitely yeah. did happen. So talking, talking about linear speed, I, I get it. 
We're, we're trying to get guys better at their 40. It can help them get into a better college. It can help them get a, a better get a well, salary or better bonus when they're coming in the, out of the NFL combine. But we all know that football includes not only linear speed, but starting and stopping. Right. So what do you, what kind of drills do you do to have these guys change direction? So I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I was talking to the guys about that the other day. They think most people think that to be a great athlete, you have to be fast. What we all know, when you look at the NFL combine, how many drills are they actually doing when you go straight? Very few, you know, having great speed is sexy, but it won't keep you there. If you can't change direction and control your body in small space, it's going to be very hard for you to perform at a high level in any sport. So, you know, because the 40 is, is marketed such a way, it actually hurts the kids because they think they need to just focus on that. But some of the drills I like to do is, you know, I love the shuttle drill, the five ten five. Because you got to run, flip your hips, sink your hips, drive. That's a great drill. They have something called an X drill where you put four cones, maybe 15 to 10 yards apart. And it's hard for me to explain it to you on here, but you run it, whatever cone straight ahead, then you shuffle to the next cone, then you got to flip your hips and run. <laughs> then you got to sink your hips at the next cone and run through the last cone. It's, you know, those are one of the two drills that I like to do. But I'm glad you mentioned that about the 40 because a lot of these kids get caught up in that. And it's like, it's been my experience. And I've been, especially at my high school, my football coach used to get a lot, a lot of track guys to come out and play football and they couldn't transition well because all they've ever done was run straight. <laughs> you know? I think this is a good segue into my next question. So your, your speed training, and I, I'll, I'll just talk to what I've seen you coach in person for our, like an, our actual football team, a defensive yeah. back coach. How is the, the training that you're doing with speed and change of direction and skills, how is that transitioning back into you as a defensive back coach? Well, we know sports is about acceleration, deceleration, right? And when, you cut, when, you, when you're accelerating, decelerating, accelerating, that transition of power and, and speed comes into play. You know, so that's how I made it relatable to those particular positions. And coach, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also hear you telling these defensive backs drive, right? Like you're saying the same yeah. thing, right? Yeah. When you go and you backpedaling, you got to, you know, stick that foot in the ground. It's the same as your drive phase. <laughs> you know, I'm a big guy on arms. Your arms trigger your feet. Your feet don't trigger your arms. So if I'm backpedaling, I go to break. I got to explode through my arms because they're going to make my feet go faster. You know, and when you put it on video and you show a kid him breaking on the ball without using his arms and him breaking on the ball, accelerating his arms, it's a big difference. So I it's the think, same thing, uh, driving. And I'm, gl I'm glad you said it because I don't think enough people put enough, uh, maybe appreciation or emphasis, I don't know what the right word is, but it's a full body movement. That, that's it's why full, yes. jack sprinters are jacked up, right? They're, they're moving yes. everything. And yes. If you look at sprinters, right, and this is my issue with a lot of coaches, right, they're really selfish about their athlete. You know, a lot of football coaches only want their guy to do football, right? But what we do at football practice has nothing to do with getting a kid fast. You want to put your kid in an environment where he's going to learn how to run fast. You can't be selfish. Where I'm from in Ohio, the football coach is mostly a track coach or the basketball coach. And he's telling his kids, get out there and run, get out there and play basketball, get out there and play baseball. If you look at the NFL draft, look at their high school. Look what those, I take the numbers every year. Like last year, 
29 of the 32 kids drafted were two sport athletes in college, I mean, high school. And that's every year when you look at the NFL draft. So why would someone as a high school coach tell their kid not to be a two-sport athlete if the goal is to get into professional sports? You have to do that. And track is one of them. Yeah, I, I think most of it is fear, right? Oh, this kid's not going to be around me. Maybe he'll like uh, basketball better than football and not come back. Maybe he's not doing anything with that other sport. Well, so did Antonio Gates. <laughs> he became one of the greatest tight ends That's right. in the NFL. That's right. I think you know, they, it, they've kind of proven, right? Well, I don't know if they, who's proven it, but you just see, like, you, to your point, multi-sport athletes, they just become LeBron. better all-around the athletes. They get skills from other sports and bring it to the sport they specialize in later. It's all necessary, man. Like, we got a kid right now at Tottenville who was on the basketball team, 6'2", playing forward. Where is he going? <laughs> right? In basketball. So he came up to us and said, hey, I want to try football. Absolutely. So now we know what he can do. We know he has, I seen him dunking, right? I seen his change of direction on the basketball court. He can catch the ball. So he has a bigger upside in football than he does basketball at six, two. Yep. That's that. And guess what his coach told him? His coach, his basketball's coach told him don't play football because he think he's going to get hurt for basketball. It's about the kid. It's not about you. So I, I love I consider myself a football coach who trains people to be better at football. That that's really like my world is very football specific. So I want to get into right. some football stuff right now. Okay. You're a defensive back coach. Yes. What what is the number one character trait that you're looking for in a, a, a defensive back? What's going to make that defensive back successful? Mental toughness. How, Mental toughness. How, I've never been I've never been a defensive back. But it's a rough position. How do you <laughs> overcome getting beat? You get beat, it's a touchdown. Correct. How do you overcome that mental? To minimize getting beat and understand <laughs> that it happens. Okay? A lot of times when you do get beat, it's not necessarily uh, the guy's better than you. It's something that you broke down technique-wise or your football IQ wasn't up to par. You understand? So that mental piece is, is what I've experienced, right, is that it's not me convincing the guy to have mental toughness. He has it when he shows up. It's one of those things that's just in who, who you are, you know? So, and playing that position, it's a, it's a, for a lot of kids, they understand that, you know, that level I thought I could play on, I can't because I can't deal with the booze from the touchdown, you know? Now, would, would you say it's the hardest position to play in football? Athletically, yes. Without a doubt. In my mind, I'd say athletically, maybe mentally, just to maybe maybe not knowing like reading a a defense like a quarterback might have to or a center yeah. might have to read the, the defensive line, a linebacker's alignment, but mm-hmm. just mentally in terms of how do I get over covering this dude receiver? I don't know what he's going to do. He can line up anywhere he wants to line up. He can motion. He can shift. Our coverages yeah. are going to change in two seconds. Yeah. Well, that's not taking, that's not necessarily true. Most of the times we know what he's going to do. Ah, tell me, tell me more. Yes. How do you, how do you and, know and, what he's going to do coach? And I'll know. use, and I'll talk about you. All right. You provided us with some analytics this year. Okay. When you first sent, when you first gave me the breakdown of this particular school, I'm looking at the paper. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not sure <laughs> what I'm saying is actually what's going to happen. 
So the game is going on and I'm like, wow, yes, it's true. So now I'm getting the kids to buy into it. Stop overthinking this thing. Here's what the analytics is showing us. Hey, they got three by one. The, the three is to the field. This guy right here is to the boundary. The quarterback is going to the to the boundary on his go route 90% of the time. Believe it. <laughs> so if you're actually watching film, right, and you're actually doing the analytic part of it, you pretty much know where the ball is going until a team break their tendencies. And you and I know most coaches don't break their tendencies. Coaches feel comfortable with what they know. And I'm trying not to say too much here because I don't want Coach Neville to, to fire me for giving away all of our uh, dirty secrets. But, yes, <laughs> I, I love what you're saying, Coach. We, we, but it's real. It's true. <laughs> so in your, in your mind, what type of receiver or scheme is the hardest to defend from, say, a pass coverage perspective? Oh, that RPO is deadly. That RPO is deadly. Because now you need different kind of athletes out there. You know, I, I think uh, it should be banned. <laughs> yeah. You're either going to run it or pass it, but that's it. You're not allowed yeah. to do that. That RPO is deadly, you know, and it requires your, your, your linebackers to be so athletic now, you know, and it brings another mental part or football IQ part into the game. You know, in, in order to defeat it, man, you got to disguise so many things. It's rough and it's hard, especially on a high school level, because you get the kid that you get, you know, you don't have scholarship kids where you can go recruit against this thing that you're going to see every week, you know? So that RPO is deadly. It is deadly. And if that quarterback can, if he's really good and he can hold on to that ball and read your outside linebacker, your strong safety, that causes problems. A lot of problems. Yes, 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 yes. So you yeah. heard it here first. We are banning RPOs in New York City. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Square up with us, offenses. Stop. But, Enough. But as we know, as the more we often we see it, we come up with something to stop it. <laughs> more, more dirty secrets, coach. More dirty secrets. <laughs> so I, got, I asked this question to a lot of defensive back coach. One-on-one drills. Yeah. Are they fair? Or is this like totally biased towards the offense? It's totally biased. If you want to do one-on-one drills, cool. But let's throw something at the quarterback while we're doing it. <laughs> do you actually do that or no? I do it when I train my quarterbacks. We do a lot of distraction drills. You know, and then whatever phase drop back they're in, when they get to their platform to throw the ball, I'm throwing tennis balls, uh, hitting them with, with bags, all kind of stuff. You that know, I even brilliant. run bodies at them. Huh? Brilliant. Now, do you yeah. – does that help build mental toughness for a DB or does it break them down if they're getting beaten a one-on-one drill? Well, I'm a big guy on explaining what's going on. Right. And like you said, a one-on-one drill is offensive based. Seven on seven is all built around the offense. Right. But what you, what you're coaching up is technique, right? You're coaching up technique and you're coaching up confidence. Yeah. He beats you on this, but listen here, you did this well, you did this well. And given the other schemes that we had going on with this, if this was a real game, this would be a difficult throw for him to complete. So you want to build on a positive of the rep instead of the negative. Yeah. And I think that's easy. You do a great job of it. I'd say in general, it's easier said than done because that kid's depressed. And it's like, I, yeah. I hear you saying to the kid, look, yeah. he's, he's not going to have this kind of time as part of a scheme. There's going to be pressure coming from this side. Right. I have come, I have kids come up to my office 
and we'll put up clips um, of Devell Rivas getting beaten practice, <laughs> Deion Sanders getting beaten practice, and one on ones. It happened. This is what it's about. Darrell Revis got beat. I don't believe it. Yeah, he's got. Yeah, he's got. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on YouTube, you can find some of his practice film where he did get beat. It's rare, but he got beat. But my point is, one or when you do one on ones, that's 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 the nature of it. Now, is there a game when you were a coach your whole career that your team lost, or there was a big play that happened? And you wish you could have another crack at it. And if the oh if yes, oh oh my God, yes. Now you know I coach you football too at the Staten Island Hurricanes. Yes. So this one particular year, we were playing for a national championship, and when we kicked the ball over the Hurricanes, we never kick it deep. We always squib kick it. I'm going to play you sixty yards, all right? But I'm not kicking that ball to your stud who's standing back there, especially on a youth level. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So this one particular team we were playing from Buffalo. We just went up to score. We were beating them by six points. Instead of kicking the ball off, I mean, instead of squibbing the ball, I said, you know what? Because they put everybody up because they knew we squibbed. I said, you know what? We're going to kick it deep and just run down and tackle that guy. And you know what he did? He took it back to the one yard line. <laughs> they end up scoring. We stopped the extra point. We lost in overtime. I think about that all the time because I went against what we do. So I, I know Coach Neville is going to kill me for bringing this up. So does that help you accept more the way our kickoff team operates at, I love at it. Cottonville? Right. I love it. It works. And the whole city know it works. It, it's just beautiful that our staff, it, you know, it's hard. You got to have the whole staff on board. You have the fans on board. The janitor's going to be on board. It's just great that our staff is all on the same page about our mentality going into kickoff. Think about this. On most high school teams, their kickoff team is not full of athletes. There's going to be three or four guys on there who are just, you know, okay guys. And most teams are putting that guy back there. (laughs) I'd rather play you 60 yards. I'm not putting the ball in that dude's hand right there. Nah, 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 nah. And not give him space to run. It'd be different if you had 11, I mean, 10 studs that just can get it. On the kickoff team, but how far, how often do you find that in high school? You know, I never really thought about that angle of it, but yeah, you're right. Like you, you'd say, oh, this guy's not getting many reps to put him on kickoff, but the kickoff returner is usually your dude, right? He, he's your guy. So yeah, that's, that's your guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why would I put that ball in his hands, giving him space to run? And I got a couple of questionable guys on my kickoff team. And what we, what most teams don't do, they don't even put their starters on kickoff. They're putting backup guys. Yep. Most kickoff teams should be your starters, your athletic starters. Get them all in there. It's it's a dangerous, dangerous play, especially yes. if you're kicking it to a dude and you got guys who can't even start on your own defense running down the field. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So coach, I'm I'm going to segue into like your coaching style and how it has or hasn't evolved over the last 20 years, given the evolution of the, uh, the modern athlete. So <laughs> you've been around me for a lot of practices. I'm a rah-rah guy. I'm a high-energy guy. So what I've learned is that everybody don't respond to that. So what I started doing is actually getting to how the kid learns best, you know. And don't get me wrong, it's sometimes, 
you know, I'm going to be that type of guy who's just going to get on your ass, just see how you're going to respond to it. Because that's life. Everything in life is not going to be an easy road or someone's going to pamper you or hug you or, you know, try to soothe you and things like that. But over the last 20 some years, I learned to be, I would say, understand that sometimes I'm wrong. Because <laughs> sometimes a kid would tell you in, in whatever way that that's, that's not right, coach. And when you think about it, you got to own it. And then you get a lot more money in the bank with a kid when you own that you were wrong. So I've learned to accept that I was wrong in certain situations. And the response you get from the kid was like, he hears me. You know, because a lot of coaches sometimes, in my opinion, come off like I'm not wrong in front of the kid. And we know we're wrong. It's a bad call that I made on this play. I messed that up. Not you. That's pretty deep, coach, because you really don't hear a lot of coaches ever, ever say that they no. were wrong or made a mistake. No. You know, we go three by one, and I got my worst defender in man coverage against that dude to the one receiver side, and he gets beat. I'm going to look at the kid. All, no, I was wrong so, for putting you in that situation. As an outside observer, though, that I, like, I would look at you and say, wow, this guy's in it, – it, you're kind of unique because you're an old-school coach – but you have new school ways, but I feel like you're old school because they're you, you press it. You put, you push these kids mentally yes. in a good way to a level mm -hmm. that you don't hear many coaches do anymore. Cause they just, they can't because of the way society is right now. Right. So it's yeah. interesting to hear to me hear you say, I thought you were going to say, I haven't, I'm still the same guy I was 20 years ago. I'm not no, bumping into this system. No, so no, curious. no. It's like being a barber, right? And you just cut one hairstyle. Times change, hairstyles change. So if you don't change with the times, what happens to your business? You have to change. You have to grow. And we can't be hypocritical with these kids. We're telling them to develop their minds and you want to develop yours. You can't be hypocritical. I love it. Well, let's talk about development from a, a physical standpoint. You've talked to me a little bit about your training every now and again. Right. How has your personal, not, not you training others, but you training yourself, which by the way is awesome. I love when trainers <laughs> keep themselves in shape because now you're, you're walking the talk. How yeah. have, how's your training evolved over the last 20 years? I, I'm a dog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I used to be into the old standard going to gym for, you know, four sets of eight of this. I'm a high volume guy now, you know, and I like to push the envelope, the pain level. I'm the type of guy where I'm going to invite pain in here and we're going to talk about it. I'm going to overcome you. So my workouts are built on that. You know, it's like the other day I did 193 reps of kettlebell squats, right, with the with dumbbell squats in the kettlebell fashion, right? So I had a deck of cards. Each time I had eight, kettlebell, uh, eight dumbbells lined up. And I put a card on each of those dumbbells, whatever the number is, I flip it over, that's the number you do. For three sets, it ended up to being 193. So I, I got to ask, a lot of our guys that listen to this, they're into this mental edge. They're, they're scared about losing their edge. Why do you want to invite the pain? Is it, is it purely mental or do you just like like hurting yourself? It's, it's all mental. It's all mental. It's, it's pain It make, can make a coward out of you. You know, and it's not as intense as you think it is once you acknowledge what it is and go get it. You know, we all have a pain threshold, don't get me wrong. But in that gym, you can't, it, it, I don't understand what that is. You know, it's like Kobe Bryant talking about somebody beating him. He said, I, I, 
I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, I'm always going to do one more rep or go after another set. That it's it's the, who, it's the ABCs of who I am. Now, do do you ever walk into the gym and say, "I'm just not feeling it today"? And if yes, yeah, and I work out, and I work out. <laughs> is there a voice in your head? Like, what's motivating you? <laughs> what's motivating me that I had the nerve to tell myself I don't feel like it? <laughs> you understand? Yes. yes. Some of my best workouts have been, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm gonna get it. Like it's like right now it's Ramadan, right? And I'm fasting. I was in the gym today, getting it in twice today. <laughs> so I just want to make sure I get this straight. You'll even get mad at yourself for even thinking. For I'm thinking that. Correct. Thinking. Yes. For even thinking it. There's no way that I let that kind of stuff enter my head because I'm physically able to do it. And being, uh, in my opinion, being out of shape, barring any medical situation is a personal choice. When you choose not to be in shape, that's a personal choice. Now, do you still sprint or do you, are you done with that? I'm not done with it. Like I'm not, when I go into um, outside, I'll do something like, um, 12 100s because I'm me personally, I don't like running around the track for for three miles, <laughs> right? So, I'll do a workout while going to track. I might do 12 100s, or I'll do a 400, 300, 200, 100, 100, 200, 300, 400, and go back down, you know. And I'll do like intermittent sprinting, like if I'm doing a 400, I might sprint for 50, 50 meters, run it, you know, a nice jog for the 350 meters you know so coach we had talked about this once before when you're in the gym who do you, who do you listen to that motivates you like is there like a, a voice in your head is there a famous guy you're listening to a rap song music whatever what is it that's motivating you you would be surprised what i listen to in the gym when i'm lifting <laughs> i listen to <laughs> slow r&b music from the 70s <laughs> It doesn't fit what I'm doing, but I like the sound of the music. <laughs> Is that kind of like uh, Ray Collins? Sorry, Ray Lewis listened to Phil Collins before games? Yeah. It's like when you see me working out and stuff is flying and hitting the ground, you would think I'm listening to some rap or whatever. Nah, I got some OJ's on, some Teddy Pendergrass, something like that. <laughs> now, what about what this more? guy, uh, C.T. Fletcher? That's my guy. That's my idol. You know, I am exactly who he is. You know, his energy, his dedication, his motivation, that's why he's my mentor. And what he's been through in life and continue to do what he's done, and he's sick right now, I believe, but up until the point he had his last heart surgery, he overcame a lot. And he overcame people telling him, you can't do it. How are you going to tell me I can't do something when I know I can? It's all in my... It's in my DNA string. It's in my motivation. It's in my thought. It's in my breath. It's all of me. Well, when we were just for those of you that don't know, and that's probably everyone else except who was ever in the car, we're driving up to Kennedy Catholic, and Coach Bali said that he listens to CT Fletcher to get himself motivated. And yeah. I said, I'm pretty sure CT Fletcher is listening to you to get himself motivated. <laughs> that would be a compliment. <laughs> Absolutely, Coach. Like I said, I, I feel. 
I feel you. I literally feel you when you're on a, in the gym or on a field. It, it's sick. Uh, completely we know sick. That, we know that football and all, life is emotional. It's energy. That's what it's about. It's, it's, if, 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 if your passion doesn't rule your performance, why are you in this? Mm-hmm. Because you'll get exposed. And that's what a lot of kids struggle with when they go up against somebody who don't don't have a turn off button. I don't, you know, it's how do you not have it? Go do something else. What I tell my kids is, this game is not for you. Go play volleyball, <laughs> you know. But this game right here, where we're going to run into people all day long, you got to have a certain energy about you if you want to dominate the man in front of you. I even say it as a coach, right? Like you're going to show up every day to practice. I'm sure a lot of guys are driving across Staten Island in traffic. If you don't love this stuff, you can't do it. You got to love football. Love you it. Gotta love it. You got to love it. And what are we doing with this thing here? We're building better men. And that's my motivation. That's my biggest motivation. BMJ actually started also as a way of mentoring these boys. The training is the carrot. But if I'm going to be around you for two hours, hour and a half, we're going to have a lot more conversations than just talking about how you can run faster, how much weight you can lift. We're going to talk about other things that's more important than you running fast and lifting weights. When you get out into these streets and you have to negotiate all these different things that's going on and your intellect and your insight and your wisdom, how do you, how does that come into play? So that was the carrot. So a lot of kids who end up training with me for the first time don't know that's a portion of it. Like even with speed camp this year, at the end of speed camp, we're, you know, we're reading these books throughout speed camp, but the very last day we're doing mock interviews. Hmm, that we're going to give the, yeah, we're going to give these kids a job spec, right? What is going to identify what this job is. They're going to do their research. And when they come back on the last day, of speed cam, we're not running anything. We're gonna go over here and each one of them is gonna have a group interview. It's gonna be me and three other people on the panel asking them questions because that is the skill that they need. Even if they end up going to the league, we all know that these teams interview these players. So that is a skill that you would definitely need. And the look on their faces when we said this, like, huh, interview? Yeah, interview. Coach, I'm, I'm so glad you're saying it, not only from the development of the entire man aspect, but I'm just thinking of myself personally, how many interviews I've been on. And yet it's for me, sometimes they're practice. Like I just want to refine my skill of being yeah. on that job interview. And you're starting with mm-hmm. these guys early, which is awesome. Because, mm-hmm. you know, when you go on an interview, you have to be quick on your feet because <laughs> they get sure they can throw a question out there that you totally not prepared for. How do you handle it? Yeah. <laughs> always there's there's it's never easy it's there's never a, a cakewalk job interview and there's always some wacky question that you weren't prepared for. Mm-hmm. but it like, also comes it also comes in your preparation that's why we're going to give them the job spec here's the job do your research well, i think it all ties together coach right you're, you're talking about uh unconscious success you have them yeah. reading books you are pushing them mentally and physically right you exercise it, all those muscles together it's only going to help you for that interview and, you know, when you read books, your vocabulary becomes better. <laughs> and, Coach, I, 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 I'm guessing it'd make you better uh, 
you know, talking to a girl that you, you want to date, you know, negotiating a new salary with your boss. Like it's going to help you in everything. It helps you. It helps you. It helps you if you buy into it. And, you know, I'm the type of guy when I train kids, like, you know, you have to come with a, with a, with a certain mindset. This is going to be a comfortable environment for everybody. So it's not going to be any teasing or bullying. And I've given kids back their money because they gave me poor effort. You can't train here. You can't train here with that effort. Buy, go somewhere else or change. But this is going to be a competitive environment to the best of your ability. I love it. I'm, I'm flawed right now. I just, you don't hear many trainers talking about things aside from just the training aspect and the fact that you're giving these guys uh, job interview skills for life. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It's, they can't pay you enough money for that. It's, it's, it's so valuable. And later on, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years. And when you start seeing those kids come back and they like appreciate that lesson, because a lot of times what we tell kids won't resonate to years later. We ex-coaches sometimes expect a kid to get it now. That lesson you teach him or you teach her may not, it may not come into fruition until five years from now. Oh, this is what coach was talking about. I get it. Everybody has that aha moment when it's time for them to have that aha moment. We as coaches can't be egotistical to think that our message is so overpowering and profound that they're going to get it in the moment. Their moment may be years from now and it will save their life. Well, that that's a good lesson for me because that's one of my weaknesses where I'm like, I, how am I not getting through to this kid? What am I doing wrong? Not thinking maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe he will get it in five years. And maybe that's, the lesson's right, but just not right now. How many times have you would have you been told something when you were young that your parent or uncle, somebody would have told you, and then when you're in your twenties, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that, that's what he was talking about. Oh, it's happening right now, coach. At 43, I'm thinking about things my dad told me when I was 15, saying, Man, that guy, that guy was way smarter than I gave him credit for. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's right, Dad. I said it. I'm giving you credit. You're way smarter than I gave you credit for. The other day I actually showed the other day I actually showed a couple of kids my report cards from college, my grades from college. It blew them away. <laughs> I was like, listen, you're gonna tell me that you can't get this done, right? So I, you know, I got my master's back in um 09, right? In social work. So what I said to the kid was, here's my report card. I want you to look at these grades. He's like, wow, coach. I was like, yeah, let me tell you what my day was like. I'm working a full-time job. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I had a part-time job. I'm coaching football and going to school for two years. What do you think my days look like? And here you mean to tell me you go to four classes a day and you can't do your homework. Who are you taking care of? How many jobs are you working? Don't tell me you can't do it. You don't want to do it because it's difficult for you and uncomfortable for you, but you can do it when you want it. It if your actions, like, huh? You're still that busy now, right, coach? Like you're coaching multiple football teams. You're yeah. training the football team. You're training guys outside of this. It's not yeah. like uh, that's something you just used to do. You're still doing it now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's all about time management. And if if you have a love and passion for something, you know, and it helps that my wife is a sportswoman too. <laughs> she she ran track all throughout college. She likes football, so that's a blessing. <laughs> Did you guys meet in college? 
we met in college on a, uh, it was weird. The first day I met her, I would say I technically wasn't supposed to meet her. They were having this, this, this function in the student center. And my roommate kept saying, oh, let's go, let's go, let's go. I was like, nah, I don't want to watch TV. He said, man, let's go over there. So I walk into the student center. She was sitting there. We struck up a conversation. Later on that night, she said, do you want to be my boyfriend? I was like, sure. <laughs> I kid you not. And that's how it, and 30 some years later, man, that's exactly how it happened. Now, did she teach you drive? Nah, man. <laughs> nah. <laughs> nah, not at all. We, we might have to get her on this podcast and get her opinion on this coach and get, and get her side of the story too. If she said, do you want to, you want to be my boyfriend? <laughs> That's how it happened, man. <laughs> so coach, we're going to transition into some rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? Come on, let's go. All right. Who is the greatest NFL defensive back of all time? <laughs> I, I can't give you one. I'll give you two. One who is underrated. And not spoken about enough, Daryl Green and Deion Sanders. Daryl Green, Washington Redskins. That's right. He yes. played corner for 15 years, if not more. No, I was a, born and raised a Giant fan, and my dad hated slash loved Daryl Green. And he actually said at certain points he was the best player in the NFL. Yes. And to play that position for the, that long is incredible. And who was the second one? De Deion Sanders? Deion Sanders. And where do you rank uh, Revis? Is he like a close third or is he not even like uh, in your top, top five? Top five. I'm an old school guy too. So, you know, my actually, I patterned my game after Frank Minifield from the Browns. That's a name that people don't know. But him, yeah. and Hanford, him and Hanford Dixon were in the Pro Bowl, I think, three, four years in a row as a cornerback tandem. Was that during uh, Belichick's time? No. Mm -mm. He was, they were before Belichick. Trying to think if like uh, Bernie, Co was Bernie Kosar the Bernie Kosar was there, yes. All right, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. All right, what NFL receiver, past or present, would you like to lock up on in a one-on-one -on -one drill? <laughs> Randy Moss. <laughs> because you don't like him or because he's so good? I think he's easy to cover. He only, he's only a two-route guy. That is interesting. So what Vertical and so post. Was his speed his or his height? Like, what was it that made him a lethal receiver? I would say more his height. Speed is speed. But when you up in those sixes, like, what is he, 6'3", something like that, with a hell of a vertical, it's that. You know, when you look at some of his, his tape, some of them dudes were on him. He just had the other thing, that height and that vertical. You know, and when I played in college, the, the fast, tall guy wasn't a hard dude to cover. He was easy because he never really practiced the other things of selling routes the right way. You knew he was going vertical, you know, or post, some, some, some deep concept. But when you got to cover that dude in the slot who has all those moves, that's the guy that's making you work. So is, who do you think would be, like, uh, let's say current receiver, who do you think would be the hardest guy to lock up on right now? Tyreek Hill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that was an easy question to answer. Sheesh. Oh, that's deadly. He has all of it. The hell with the height. He has everything. Route running, release from the line, cuts, all of it. 
sells the route the right way, he, he's that'd be a problem. All right, next question. What is your number one pet peeve in a weight room? <laughs> and lack of goddamn effort. I'm sorry to curse. Lack of effort. It's not about talent. It's about effort. I hate lack of effort. So my next you, question, it might be the same answer. What's your number one pet peeve on a football field? This might be different. Poor football intelligence. Now, is that something that you're born with or is that something that you need to work on all the time? Well, something you need to work on all the time. Because as we know, teams will tell you what they're going to do. You have to know the game. You have to know the game. You have to know what's coming. You know, you got to play with eye integrity. See it. Football I, IQ is important. What I like is even as I'm talking to you, the, the way you look at wide receivers is very different than the way I do because you're, you, you're a defensive back. You're studying. You, you said Randy Ross ran two routes. That's all he runs. Uh, as me as what a is he linebacker. Known for? What's up, Coach? What is he known for? What is he known for? Oh, vertical, vertical route. Yeah, vertical route. Yeah. Right, yeah. You, ain't seen, vertical you haven't route. seen too many yeah. sluggos, post-corner comebacks, none of that. And me as a linebacker, I, I very seldom, because I was in the box inside linebacker, I'm thinking yeah. about guards, tackles. I'm not looking at any of that stuff. So it's awesome to see, yeah, football IQ. We're looking at it different ways, but it's in the same same field. If, if, I'm, if I'm a DB, especially in high school, right, and the ball is to the boundary, and they got three by one and the one receiver to the boundary. How many routes is he going to run? Half the route tree is gone. Yep. <laughs> you ain't getting post corner from the boundary. <laughs> so let, let's go. Let, let's keep this type of a line of thinking going. What is something you used to think to be true about football, but you now know it's false? That's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Not as false. Right. You used to always believe this and then something happened and it changed your mind. And now you believe that. Actually your world analytics. That is interesting coach. Cause the, one of the first times we met at Tottenville, we had yeah. talked about doing analytics at, at Wagner. And yes. I, I didn't, I didn't get the feeling that you were fully bought in on it. No, no. Cause I'm a field guy. You said something I'm like, a, I mean, you have the worst job. If, if it doesn't work out, everybody's going to blame you. Like, if you go for a fourth down or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But you get what I'm saying, right? I'm a, I'm emotions. I'm organic. Um, that's my mindset. Analytics is structured. It's tedious. It's, it's you know, you're like, really? <laughs> well, that, that's but now I, I know. Really Based I on my when you, sorry, coach, when you when you picked up that cheat, and I can't say too much, I'm like biting my mouth off here. When we talked about our analytics before, you picked it up, you gravitated toward it, and I saw you in the game calling yeah. out plays before they happened. And I was like, This is oh, sick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That it's I believe in it now. You know, just with anything that's new to you, right? You just can't push it to the side. You gotta test it to see if. You know, if you close off like that, you become ignorant of things because, you know, my way is not the only way. Here's this source of information here. Let me see if it works. Don't just shut it down. I'm like, oh, it works. Oh, OK, let's roll with it. <laughs>
And would you have to explain to kids that nothing's absolute? You know, someone may break their rules, but listen, let's try this first. Like one, uh, <laughs> one game, <laughs> I told the corner four times in a row, he's running the stick route. He ran the stick route four times in a row based on analytics. And I said to the corner, why didn't you believe us? <laughs> why didn't you believe us? Oh, coach, I thought he was going to stutter and go. Did he? No. He was due. He was due. <laughs> he probably just picked it off and went to the house if he just jumped the route. Just believe it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll take the fall for it. Just believe it. All right, Coach, next rapid-fire question. What failure in your life, inside or outside of football, eventually led to much greater success? I would say my senior year in college. Like, yeah, I've always been a hard worker. I've never taken off, right? After my last game in college, I said to myself, I'm going to let my body rest for about two, three weeks, right? So I did nothing. This is the first time I actually did nothing for two or three weeks. Get back to school. Guess who's standing there? A scout for the Atlantic Falcons, right? Now, you got to remember, this is the 80s, <laughs> right? Scout for the Atlantic Falcons is standing there. Hey, let's go out here and work out. I wasn't in shape. So from that point on, I said, that never happened to me again in anything in life. I'm going to try to stay prepared as much as I can. Coach, I thought you were going to say it was your girlfriend. Now you're now your wife. Nah, man. Well, I, that was the biggest mistake I ever did, taking off. That was my shot. Because the guy came to Dell State to see me. And just how, how has that changed your mindset from that point on? That um, you're not as tired as you think you are. Be prepared. Now, if you that want to be... Huh? Does that stick in your head when you're in the gym and you're feeling a little tired now? All that the time. Moment? Yep. Like I said, you have very few aha moments in your life, and that was one of mine. You know, I, I just love it that, you know, you've been out of college, I'm assuming, 30 years, right? And it's just good for a kid. I hope some high school kids listening to this, that a grown man is still thinking about something from 30 years ago and is still yeah. using it to get himself through and kill a workout session in the gym. Had I, had I, had I did what I normally do, we probably wouldn't know each other. I'd be asking somebody else, who's the greatest NFL DB of all time? <laughs> right. Had I, had I did what I, had I did my norm, we probably wouldn't know each other. And, and I'm thinking, coach, you know, I'm not one of those, everything happens for a reason, but if you did that, how many kids are getting influenced by you? How many kids are reading books? How many kids are right. getting job interviews? You know, like, yeah, man, there's so much good that came out of that bed. So yeah, uh, it did. Yeah. I'm selfishly happy for it, but mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to get you through your workouts, but a lot yeah. of other people have benefited a lot. I don't regret it, you know, and you had, you have to embrace your failures. You have to love them. They're the foundation of, your success. 
So th this might link. We got two questions left, and I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to link to this one or not. Otherwise, we're going to come back to it. If you could put anything on a billboard on the West Shore Expressway, what would it say? I die trying. Now, how does that or does it does it link to what you just said about embracing your fail failures? Absolutely. Because when you fail, it gives you great information. And that's when you have to actually start putting things into play to overcome that failure. I am going to do what it takes for me to overcome this. I die trying. I'm just linking back to the beginning of this podcast where you were talking about reading books. And I just, I love the, every aspect of the way you are, of the, the effort, the resilience, the, mm -hmm. the willingness to learn, and then even using failure as another opportunity to learn. It's a gift. It's the greatest gift. All right, coach. Last question on the rapid fire questions. This is my selfish question that I ask everyone. It's the last question of the podcast because I love efficiency. Okay. What is one life lesson you can give to me on how to simplify my life or remove clutter? And it, it doesn't have to be about football. It could be about anything. Well, like I said earlier, my business is a, I'm a social worker. And most people who I work with, the biggest thing that they struggle with to overcome, right, is owning who they actually are. In the sense that a lot of times we outthink ourselves, we overthink ourselves. The, the, it is important for us to, you talk about this clutter, what is the clutter? The clutter is the garbage you didn't get rid of that you know you should get rid of. It's proven to you time and time again, I shouldn't be involved in this, thinking this. So it is that thing in you to accept your ability to say, I'm okay with letting that go. And it, is that something that as a social worker, you have to teach people to do, or you just make them aware of it, that it's okay. And then they're able to do it. As a social worker, I don't teach anybody anything. As a social worker, my job is okay. Here's this mirror. All right. What do you see? How do we, or how do you how would this look better to you? How do we go about getting that done? The work is all on the person that I'm talking to, not me. And that's the beauty in it because it comes from them. That's a success story within itself that I, not me, but this is the person talking. I figured this out. Now that's gotta be like, almost like a, a selfless role, right? Where you have the, you, the, the social worker has to check your ego and it's not me changing you. It's, it's you changing you. It's you. It's never about me. It's about you. We're sitting at this table. We're sitting in this room because you have said that these things are going on in your life. And you are saying, this is what I need to fix in my life. And you are saying, this is what I'm willing to do to fix it. Now, is, is Coach Bali 
uh, the social worker, the same as Coach Bali, the football coach, or are you like a more laid back version? Uh, <laughs> off the field, I'm totally laid back. And people find that, I think, shocking because they think that when they see you in your element, they think that's what you are. But what people come to find out, I'm much more different off the field than I am on the field. Now it's kind of like, uh, you know, Batman, he, uh, who is he really? Is he Bruce Wayne or is he really Batman? So I'll ask you the question is, is the real you the, the Bali on the football field or the social worker, or it just depends on the time and the place. It's all me. It's all you. I, I yeah. knew, I knew that answer was coming. <laughs> it's all me. If you I want one thing, it is authentic. Yeah. <laughs> and I try to be honest. I don't doubt that for one second, coach. I've, I've known you not, not too long in my life, but I, I, could, I don't see you holding back much at all. No. So, coach, this has been awesome. Uh, it's been a long time coming. I know Coach Neville was excited about it. I know our players were excited about him. Coach Sarno was excited about it. Coach Q was excited about it. I, there's people that don't know where to find you yet. Where can they look for you on social media? How do they find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, on Instagram, all they got to do is follow back of my jersey. Just type in back of my jersey and it'll come up. Also, um, I have a Facebook page also called back of my jersey. Awesome, Coach. Any And my any... Twitter. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and my Twitter is also back of my jersey. <laughs> back of my jersey. BMJ. E easy to follow. Also, his initials, which was just a, just a coincidence. Very easy to follow. Coach, any last words of wisdom for the audience before we break out? Absolutely. Um, when people show you who they are, believe them. Own your square and keep your circle small. Circle yourself with people who are like-minded and who are motivating you to change and elevate your life the way you want it to be. You know, and own your future. Awesome. I love it. Coach, I'm glad now that now we are in the same circle. Uh, I know that I'm learning a hell of a lot from you. I love hearing you coach every time I walk into that weight room or see you on a football field or on, a, on the track. So thank you for everything you do. You are a special, special guy, coach. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for the opportunity, man. I appreciate you. All right, coach. Thank you. I appreciate you too. Everybody else, thank you. We will talk to you all soon in the next podcast. Bye. All right. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right, I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it, you'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today.